Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f What the f gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it. Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. You may recall a while back I did a podcast with Andy Shell of 59 North. Now Andy's trying to make a business out of taking people sailing with him. So if you're interested in getting some offshore experience, you might listen to this ad and see if it's something you're interested in. And by the way, I do recommend that you also subscribe to Andy's podcast, 59 North. Greetings, gang. This is Andy Shell from the 59 Degrees North Sailing Podcast. If you dig Franz's show here, you'll definitely dig my podcast, so subscribe for free over on iTunes. And if you're interested in getting out in the high seas yourself, join my wife Mia and I on our classic Swan 48 Eastbjorn, uh, that's Swedish for polar bear, on one of our upcoming ocean passages. Eastbjorn is a 1972 Sparkman Stevens Swan 48, perfectly configured for taking crews in style and comfort on long-distance offshore sailing trips. We sell four spaces per trip, with myself as skipper and either my wife Mia as mate or another professional sailing friend of mine who I hired to join us. Most passages are between five and seven days, with the occasional two to three week ocean crossing thrown in for the real adventurous among you. Got a bunch of trips coming up. In November, we're sailing south in the Caribbean 1500 from Annapolis to Tortola. Then in 2016, we're doing some trips in the Caribbean and a transatlantic next summer. Check out the full schedule on 59-north.com slash offshore. 59 Degrees North, we're sharing the infinite wisdom of the high seas with those wise enough to seek it out. So come and join us. I'm going to make the introduction to this episode fairly brief. Don't really have much new to say did get an email from one of my listeners from Ken up in Canada. Said, I've been listening to your podcast for about a year now. Thanks for all your hard work and passion. I am a sailor and a dreamer. I've sailed for over 30 years on small boats on landlocked lakes throughout Western Canada. My wife and I have a plan to sell it all in nine years or less and buy a blue water boat and go explore the world. You're taking some lessons in the Gulf Islands this month, and we have bought your 101 and 103 lessons. We have enjoyed them very much. And then he asked to be able to review the 104 lessons, which I will do. I'll send him a link to that. Thanks, Ken. I appreciate your comments. I do like getting letters from listeners. I'm not big on responding on Facebook or Twitter. I'm more of a one-on-one type person. So if you want to get a hold of me, use the contact form at the website or just send me an email, franz at medsailor.com. Also, I just got an email from the producer of Shooting the Breeze podcast, Jeffrey Wittig. And it appears that we're going to be doing a cross-promotion podcast in the near future. And I look forward to talking to Jeff about his sailing experiences and his podcast and audience. If you have suggestions for other topics I should cover, please drop me an email. I'm always looking for good topics to cover. And with this brief introduction, let's get on to this week's episode.
I'm with Jeff Wittig of Shooting the Breeze Sailing Podcast, another yep. sailing podcast that you should be listening to if you're listening to my podcast and Andy's podcast and the sailing podcast. You know, if you're a sailor or if you're a wannabe sailor, which I think most people that listen to these are, <laughs> yep, and, yep. Then, uh, then you should be listening to Jeff's podcast, Shooting the Breeze Sailing Podcast. Jeff, tell me about yourself okay, and what your podcast's about. We'll just go from sure. there. All right. Yeah, I live in uh, central Pennsylvania, um, York, Pennsylvania, to be specific. Actually, Loganville, Pennsylvania, which is a small town outside of York City. Uh, I'm about an hour and a half from the Chesapeake Bay where I keep my boat. I have a uh, 1974 pace ship PY-26, uh, which is a good solid bay slash coastal cruiser boat. Uh, nice, nice room downstairs. A pretty sturdy keel step rig, fin keel, that sort of thing. Uh, the previous owner did a lot of racing. What, what's uh, what, what's the draft on your boat? Let me ask you that quickly. Uh, four and a half. Four and a half. Now, in the in the Chesapeake, you have to be careful about shallow areas a lot, don't you? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Um, and where I'm at in the Northeast River, it's funny. I was just talking about this yesterday. Uh, I have a GPS, you know, chart plotter, and if you look at the GPS chart plotter. I shouldn't be sailing anywhere near <laughs> any of my marina or my yacht club or and, you know with any anywhere within two miles because it all says like four feet or less. <laughs> but you know we know local knowledge or whatever we know what the, what the tides are and, and where we can and can't go. But generally, yeah, on the Chesapeake, uh, you know, unless you're out in the middle, you know, you don't have any problem. But uh, getting into the creeks and there's some pretty tricky inlets getting into creeks that you're going to go anchor in at night. Uh, you know, I've gotten, I've bumped along on, you know, on my way into channels and things like that. And it was, oh, turn around, wait for high tide, you know. So it's definitely anything that, you know, even my buddy has a four foot draft. He's, you know, hit bottom. There's a shoal that we call finger shoals after him because he sat on this shoal for three hours waiting for the tide to come up and his keel was grinding on a big stone about the size of a Volkswagen across from Still Pond. So there are definitely shallow spots out there and, definitely have to be aware of where they're at all right so continue on with your story i'm sorry to interrupt you i just had to ask oh, you that because i i no know problem. when the we when i sailed across the atlantic i launched from hampton virginia mm -hmm. and we went out for just a day sail on the chesapeake bay and i i had to be pretty careful with my navigation i wasn't familiar with it but all i noticed on the charts that i had were pretty shallow areas you had to be careful of so well, I was out for a sale yesterday, and uh, friends of mine, a couple that I interviewed back on episode like 10 or 11 of my podcast, they bought a Rafiki 35, which you know is a much bigger boat than the Grampian 26 that they had. And I'm not sure what their draft is, but I motored up next to them, and we're kind of in the little channel there. And I'm yelling at them across the way, and, and after about five minutes, she's like, you got to go over, you got to go over, I'm running out of water. I'm like, oh, man, sorry, I forgot like i'm used to my boat i'm not used to some of these other boats that do draft five and a half six feet they really got to be careful you know yeah i'm i'm opening up google earth as we talk and i'm going to zoom okay. in on the chesapeake bay so i can sort of talk to you about uh your sure. specific area here so you're up in the north part of the chesapeake bay then. yeah right? if you if you put in uh north east maryland which is two words uh that's where i keep my boat and there's a north, you know, it's called the Northeast River, and it's basically runs, you know, up to the northeast from uh, the, where the Susquehanna dumps in uh, next to Havre de Grace. 
So there's a big kind of wide open area there outside of Havard Grace called the Susquehanna Flats, which are very shallow. So we kind of have to uh, snake the uh, eastern side of the Northeast River as we go down through. There's a you know a, cha- a loosely marked channel over there that uh, denotes the deeper water. And then once you get past uh, Turkey Point, where the uh, Elk River, the Northeast River, the Susquehanna Flats, and the Sassafras River all kind of meet up, uh, it's fairly deep. I mean, you know, it might be 10 or 11 feet deep, but as you get further down the bay, then it, it opens up and deepens up a little bit. Good. Now I, now I have some geographic knowledge in front of me, and we'll continue on. So your cruising area, tell me about where you've cruised in the okay. Chesapeake and what you like to do there. Well, I started sailing uh, in 2002. Uh, a friend of mine, you know, I was basically looking for something to do over July 4th vacation. You know, I didn't want to spend a lot of money. And I was thinking about camping. Uh, there's a state park down from where I keep my boat called Elk Neck State Park. And, uh, you know, a friend of mine had a kayak I was going to borrow, and then I was going to go down to camp and kayak. And I'm talking to this other guy I work with who I knew, you know, okay, but I didn't know everything that he was into. And he's like, well, I have a sailboat you know, down on the bay, why don't you come with me? We'll go down to Annapolis and do like a four day cruise. And I'm, you know, I'm kind of blowing my mind. I'm like, okay, you know, this sounds interesting. You know, I've, my grandfather had a sailboat, like a real little one up on the Susquehanna river, uh, that I never actually got to go on. And, and that was like my only kind of exposure to sailing. Uh, so when he said go sailing for four days, I'm like, wow, you know, okay, we'll check it out. So I did that. And that was in 2002. And he had like a McGregor 26, you know, kind of a smaller boat, uh, but a friend of mine and, and him and, and we went down to Annapolis and, you know, had some had some parties and, you know, good sailing. And about the following summer, maybe I was like, yeah, I should I should look into this. So I think by 2005, I had bought my own. Uh, I bought a McGregor 25 off of eBay, which is a whole big story in and of itself. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that was my first boat. I had that for about three, four years. And then in 2008, I bought a South Coast 26, which was like a step up. You could stand in uh, standing headroom and, and that kind of thing. But it was kind of still a lighter boat. And uh, my friend that I sailed with that I met at this yacht club, we all belong to a, a yacht club up there in Northeast called Hans's Point. And these are the guys that really taught me how to sail when I was when I showed up with a boat and didn't really know what I was doing. You know, these guys took me out and took me out on their boats, showed me what to do, and then took me out on my boat and showed me what to do, and then I just kind of learned from there. So then in 2009, I really started kind of cruising. Prior to that, I just kind of did day sails up and around the area we're talking about there. Um, But in 2009, I bought this pace ship from one of the guys, and and he was a very meticulous uh, mechanical kind of guy, so everything worked really well. He had the boat tuned to race, and, and it was all set up. And I was like, that was the boat I wanted. So I, he ended up selling it to buy a bigger boat. He bought an Ericsson 32. And uh, I kind of felt bad because now I had this turnkey boat. <laughs> and, you know, I started cruising. And unfortunately, the boat he bought, he had to spend a year or two kind of working on and repowering and, and all that kind of stuff. So he was kind of sitting idle in the, in the yacht club for about a year while I was out sailing his old boat. So I felt kind of bad. But from there, I, I started doing overnights closer and then we always did it like an annual trip to annapolis uh but in 2012 i took my big trip i soloed uh with that guy and his wife and another couple on a on a third boat and all of us sailed uh pretty much all the way down to tangier island uh virginia which is about three quarters the length of the chesapeake bay 
And uh, we did that over the course of uh, 12 days, 13 days, I think. We uh, sailed down through and then sailed all the way back up. And uh, so that was like my trial by fire. I was, I was solo on my boat. And we did have some pretty sporty conditions, uh, you know, probably 25 knot winds, four or five foot seas at one point, maybe gusting to 30. And uh, we sailed, you know, all the way down, stopped in Solomon's Island, uh, Maryland, and then we sailed across the bay to the Nanticoke River, which there's absolutely nothing in the Nanticoke River. It's a, basically a tidal swamp. And it was interesting to visit, but uh, with 20 knots blowing and nowhere really good to anchor, we had a pretty rough night anchoring there, but then we ended up in Tangier Island the next day, and all was well with the world. <laughs> so that was like my big trip. Okay, okay. So I imagine most of the Chesapeake is fairly shallow, isn't it? And most of it is, yeah. Uh, you know, and that's where the four and a half feet draft really comes into play because uh, some of the boats, you know, you do get a lot of ocean going boats that do make the trek through the bay to get into places like Annapolis and Norfolk and, and that sort of thing. And if you're drafting anywhere more than six feet, you really have to pay attention to where you're going. And it really knocks down your uh, ability to anchor for the night in like some of these creeks. Uh, they have a, you know, there's a book out there called gunk holing on the bay, which is specifically written for people with shallow draft boats. Cause they can pretty much go wherever they want. But a lot of the world cruising boats, that do show up, they really have to stick to the shipping channel areas. And, uh, you know, when they're anchoring for the night, they really got to plan it out. Yeah, I'm looking here. It doesn't look like, and I don't have charts in front of me. I'm just looking at Google mm -hmm. Earth, but it looks like there's a lot of shallow areas that would be fun to get into if you had a shallow enough draft boat to get into. Right, exactly. And that's where, you know, basically I've, I've seen some boats. There are a couple at our yacht club that have six-foot drafts and, uh, you know, you can get away with that, but anything more than that, I would, and, you know, like I said, you're not going to get much more than that until you start getting into the really bigger boats. But I know Andy's boat, uh, he's got that Swan 48 now. He drafts eight feet, and he's got a hard time just having a, finding a place to anchor it. <laughs> We're talking about Andy Shell. Andy Shell of right. 59 Degrees North Podcasts. So Correct. Because you interviewed him on your podcast, right? Yeah, I got a, uh, a whole big story behind that um, just because uh, he moved – he bought a house, I guess, in two or three, four years ago. Um, and basically his point was, you know, I'm going to buy a small house and, and have a medium-sized boat instead of living aboard. And, but he ended up buying a house in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which is my hometown. I grew up there. I lived there up until two years ago. Basically, when Andy was moving in, I was moving out. <laughs> and we both started the podcast <clears> – <throat> excuse me, we both started the podcasting right about the same time. Uh, and it was just funny because I read and he writes for sale magazine and I, I read this article and like Lancaster PA, who is this guy? You know, I got to figure, figure out who he is. And so I got to meet him up at uh, meet up with him at one of the Annapolis uh, springtime boat shows. And I got to interview him there for like a half an hour on his boat, on his dad's boat. And I'm like, dude, you know, you live in Lancaster. What do you think of it? The whole nine yards. And, you know, I, at, after talking about that, I wrote a, little article that uh, he posted up on 59-north.com about the tale of two podcasters and how two pretty disparate guys uh, end up in the same town doing the same thing <laughs> and how many sailing podcasts actually come from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Why there, you know? Uh, so it was a whole big, uh, interesting story. And I did go over to his house and, and spent like two hours talking to him and it, episode maybe 62 or 63 of his podcast is uh, me showing up at his house him sitting in his jammies and <laughs> we're doing an interview <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it was pretty cool 
So how would you differentiate your podcast from Andy's podcast? What do you specialize in in your podcast? Well, and I kind of, when I first started, I, I started listening to podcasts, you know, way back in 2005. And, and uh, it's one of those things where I was always like, oh, I should do a podcast, but what am I going to do it about? And then as I got deeper into sailing, I'm like, well, I should do a sailing podcast. And honestly, I was laying the groundwork to do this back in 2010. And, and I got, uh, you know, my job basically evaporated and uh, suddenly my priorities changed, you know. So kind of delay things back to 2013 when now I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm in a position where I can do this and I want to do a sailing podcast. And honestly, uh, you know, I'd listened to furled sales, I think, and uh, maybe one other podcast. There weren't that many back in like 2010 when I was originally thinking about this. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do the sailing podcast, but I got to have like a hook. So I wanted to be like, since I sail in the Chesapeake and I, I don't have, I mean, I have ambitions of going cruising and, and ocean sailing and everything like that. But, you know, my kind of expertise now is centered on the Chesapeake. So I, I kind of want to stay cent, uh, Chesapeake centric and then smaller boat. So say 20 to 35 foot, you know, I, I'm not doing a whole lot of ocean cruising. Uh, you know, I'd like to go to the islands at some point and charter or whatever, but I haven't done any of that stuff. But there's a ton of history on the Chesapeake. There's a ton of people that uh, have smaller boats uh, that are blue-collar sailors that don't have $100,000 to go out and buy a boat, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, the other thing was telling the stories, uh, you know, how many times I sat around the yacht club having a few beers, talking to the, the old salts at the, at the yacht club, and they're telling these great stories and, you know, there's three people sitting around listening to them. And I'm like, I got to capture some of these stories. So that's really where it started. I was like, I'm going to take my, I'm going to buy this recorder. I'm going to show up at the yacht club. And by yacht club, I mean boat club. There's not too many yachts around. <laughs> <laughs> you know, most of them are sub 30 foot boats. Some of them are 35, but that's about it. And, you know, not a one of them cost more than, yeah, whatever, twenty five, thirty thousand dollars $30,000. You know what I mean? So uh, there's a yacht club up the street called the Northeast River Yacht Club. They're a little more hoity-toity than we are. But, you know, I always call us the blue-collar blue uh, yacht club because it's just a bunch of guys. And a lot of them are from Pennsylvania. Uh, for some reason, back in the, you know, 40s and 50s, uh, they established this yacht club uh, from the Reading, Pennsylvania area. And then it just kind of grew from there. But a lot of people are from Pennsylvania. And uh, we're all driving down on the weekends and hanging out. So some of these stories, though, even just these blue-collar guys, I, I interviewed a guy, an older guy, he retired, and uh, his bucket list was to sail around Cape Horn. So he chartered a sailboat that goes around Cape Horn every year and you know, flew down, spent three months hanging around in Patagonia and, and uh, Ter Terra del Fuego and, and hopped on board this boat for a week to sail around Cape Horn. You know, it's just like average guys men and women uh, who you would meet just anywhere on the street doing like these extraordinary things. And I think sailing is an extraordinary thing. I think more people should do it, but to be command of your little boat in potentially, you know, bad weather and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, the average person doesn't really do that. So they're pretty extraordinary people uh, in and of themselves and they all have great stories to tell. And that's kind of where I started out. Well, I'm glad you're doing that because the first podcast I started was just to do that, was to capture audio stories from people, and it didn't right. do too great. You know, most people, when, they get a, when you put a microphone in front of them, <laughs> clam up. They don't know right. how to talk. So. Right, right. Well, I find rum, uh, beer, and gin usually help. 
<laughs> in at least moderate amounts. So, uh, you know, definitely sitting on the porch, watching the sunset and, you know, people just telling stories. And at first, every, you know, my one friend who he plays great music on a guitar and he tells funny stories and jokes and, uh, you know, he's a great guy. He's, he's uh, just retired. And uh, I, I just I want to capture like him. I just want to stick a microphone in his face all the time. And, you know, after about the first first or second time I did it, he's like, put that thing away. <laughs> he's like, I talk too much. And I'm like, yeah, that's the point, you know. So it'd be great. It does turn some people off. But, you know, once you get people talking, you know, it, it's pretty good story time. Oh, good. Oh, good. So what's been your most memorable story that you've heard from some of your characters? Some of the well, characters you know, I should say. Right. It's the, definitely the, the guy who went around Cape Horn because I, I, it's funny. You know, this guy, he, he putters around the club. You know, he's got a, a, ear, a hearing aid in, so he can't hear you half the time. And, and he's always just kind of working on his boat. And for three years, I, I talked to this guy and didn't know anything about it. And then at one point, somebody's like, yeah, you know, old Jim went down to uh, – Cape Horn last year, and I'm like, wait, wait a minute, <laughs> what? You know, and uh, it's funny because unless you really sit down and, and get to know people, you know, sometimes they're not giving up these stories, you know. And I just found that amazing. That was that was an awesome story. And I also like how people got started. You know, it's like, what was your first experience on a boat? And a lot of the guys that I sail with are in retirement right now, and so they grew up sailing or just even boating in, in like the fifties and sixties on these old wooden boats, you know, that aren't around anymore. But, you know, their dad was like, Hey, I, you need to do something this summer. So I'm taking you over to the bay and, and you're going to, you're going to take this sailing summer class or whatever, you know, and it turns out being something that they do for the rest of their lives, you know? So I think those are great stories when people are like, yeah, you know, this guy was racing a, a laser or a lightning back in the sixties, you know, and, and I just caught on from there. And the next thing you know, I went out and bought a 22 foot boat, you know, or some people actually build their own boats, you know, and they're in it for the project too. You know, they're, they're just great stories. I'm glad you're capturing these stories. Yeah. And I, I want to do more of that. <laughs> Honestly, it's like, I haven't really been able to, to nail some people down. There's a couple of people that, down at the club that I just really want to be like, Hey, <laughs> you, me next Friday night. And uh, we're going to sit down and do this, you know? Uh, so I want to get back to doing some of that lately. I've been doing some of this uh, Skype interviewing with, with people and uh, uh, going, you know, every time I go to the boat show, I take the recorder along and, and kind of interview vendors and that sort of thing. Uh, but just the, the, Shooting the shooting the breeze, you know, sitting on the porch shooting the breeze. I really want to do more of that. That's great. What are your goals and your aspirations yourself? Just hanging around there and keep doing this, or are you are you a dreamer of long distance sailing yourself? <laughs> I am a dreamer of long distance sailing. At some point, uh, I'm in my mid forties right now, and I, you know, got a teenager in the house, still a senior in high school, that sort of thing. Uh, and I don't necessarily have the disposable income for. Uh, just upping and, and heading off, you know, and unless I just want to ditch the whole retirement thing, <laughs> live off the government when I'm 65. But, uh, you know, at some point I want to get a bigger boat, uh, more seaworthy boat and definitely try and, and I don't know if I'm going to do world cruising so much as just, you know, Island hopping down to the Caribbean, that sort of thing. Uh, but I definitely want to get a bigger boat that is more conducive to that thing. I, I, I have a friend at the club who took his Catalina 27 like two years ago. He went down to the Bahamas for three months, 
on the Catalina 27. So it can be done in a, in a boat my size, but when you're talking creature comfort and extended uh, periods on the boat, you know, I would love to get my hands on a, on a Bayfield 32 or a West sail 32 or something of that nature. Boy, that's a name I haven't heard in a long time. West sail 32. Do you uh, see very many of those out there? You don't see too many where I'm at. I mean, you get down into uh, the Annapolis area, you see all kinds of world cruising boats. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of those double enders running around down there. You just don't see too many of the 32s. There's a Bayfield 32 actually for sale in Annapolis, or I'm sorry, in Northeast. Uh, and actually, there's a guy on YouTube named his uh, videos are called Sailing Nervous. It's a guy who wants to start cruising and living on board. And he's boat shopping. And his little five minute videos are all about these boats that he's looking at. He actually went and looked at that. <laughs> so there's video of it on, on YouTube of this Bayfield 32 for sale in, in Northeast. And I just, every day I stop myself from going, <laughs> going to look at it because I need to buy a house <laughs> and get situated uh, before I go buying bigger boats. Jeff, what do you do for a living? Um, I run a industrial wastewater treatment plant for uh, Armstrong World Industries. Okay. Uh, we make ceiling tiles at the plant that I'm at. And uh, so I'm kind of like a process technician slash wastewater treatment operator. And, I mean, it's a good job, and it's not necessarily one I like. I, I was in graphic arts uh, for production uh, pre-press uh, for a big printer for 14 years up until 2009. And uh, lost, ended up, you know, my job ended up going to India uh, at that point. So that's kind of how I, I just was looking for a job, and, and I ended up finding a production job at, at uh, this company. And ended up working my way into where I'm at now. So it's a good, stable job, but it's a lot of uh, rotating 12-hour shift work. And at least this year, I get my third week of vacation, so I'm able to spend a little more time out on the water. Uh, it was a rough couple of years, like 2011, 2012 is when I first started going out and doing, like, spending my week or two weeks of vacation and just going sailing. And then for the rest of the year, I was kind of screwed. <laughs> What's the economy like back there where you're at? Um, it's pretty good. Um, they always used to say it was a recession proof economy because we've got a lot of industry. Uh, we've got a lot of farming and we've got a lot of, uh, service businesses and it's kind of central to like the industrial East coast corridor, I guess you could say. So we're pretty much three hours from anywhere. There's a lot of rail, a lot of, uh, highways and stuff and uh, basically Lancaster where I used to where I grew up and I, I lived up until two years ago is all what you would consider Amish country for you tourists out there <laughs> so there's uh basically a lot of farming in that area and uh, but a lot of industries like it because uh there's a lot of hard-working uh people in you know that have grown up uh working very hard and, and a lot of the coal miners came down from the coal region back in the 50s and 60s and set up shop working at these big companies. Uh, now, the big companies aren't necessarily as as uh, good as they used to be, obviously. Uh, the economy has taken its toll. But, um, you know, by and large, there's, there's jobs out there. Uh, it was tough for me in 2009. That was not a good time to be losing, <laughs> losing work. Uh, but, you know, uh, ended up okay for me in terms of uh, where I'm at. Now, I don't want to do this. I'm in, like I said, in my mid forties and I don't want to be working rotating 12 hour shift work up through my fifties. So I'm going to have to find something else at some point. <laughs> well, you know, life's an adventure. You can always change jobs, right? Yes. You can always change jobs. Do you have any interesting interviews or podcasts coming up that you can tell us about? 
Um, honestly, uh, you were the last thing that I booked. Uh, I'm hoping uh, there's a guy named Kamal. If you listen to my podcast, and Andy actually interviewed him too. He's a very large uh, black guy from Baltimore. He weighs about 350 pounds, and he's just a big guy. He's it's not like he's fat or anything. He's just a big guy. And uh, they don't make boats for him. So he's building his own uh, 54-foot cruising boat in his backyard in Baltimore City. Uh, so anyway, uh, I caught up with him again in the spring and did like an update. And we, we kind of pal back and forth. Uh, you know, every time I post something, I'll text him. Or every time he does something, he'll text me. Uh, he wants us to do a live kind of podcast at the Annapolis Boat Show in October. So we're trying to work on that. He wants to invite uh and I'm not sure who, but, you know, he wants to invite a couple people to uh, sit with us on the veranda above Pusser's uh, downtown Ego Alley there looking over the boat show on Saturday morning and and do a podcast, which would be great uh, as long as the weather's nice. <laughs> That's kind of what I was telling him. Like, you might want to come up with plan B just in case that doesn't work, because last year at 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning, it was pretty cold and rainy, you know. Uh, so that's upcoming, and you know the boat show is always a big deal for me. I always go down there and and uh, poke around all the vendors, and it's nice now that I've been doing this because I, I wrote for and I still do write for Examiner.com. I'm the Harrisburg Sailing Examiner, uh, which doesn't mean a whole lot. You know they want newsworthy sailing items, and, and there's not too many of those. So I end up doing a lot of event listings and copying and pasting things and posting them up. So I don't consider it serious journalism by any stretch, but I've been getting into the boat show with a press pass for the last six years or so and interviewing people, you know, for the, for the print. Uh, now I'm, you know, basically focusing on the, on the podcast. So when I show up with, uh, to the boat show, I have my recorder in, in tow. And then now being, uh, you know, being able to mix and mingle with, people like Andy Shell and the, I, like I met the shards at uh, one of the world cruising club seminars that Andy does, you know, there's 150 people in there that are all world cruising or people that want to go cruising, you know, so there, it's great to just chat with people and kind of network a little bit. And uh, it was kind of funny. I'm walking around the uh, vendors booths and I'm running into Etienne Griore and, and, you know, all these people that I've heard in podcasts around on, you know, Andy's podcast and other podcasts. So it's like, Hey, I heard you on this, you know, and then you talk to him for half an hour, you know? So it's great to kind of network. And the same thing, uh, you know, Matt Rutherford is, is always, he's not at the boat show necessarily, but he was in Annapolis and I got to uh, interview him at the spring boat show this past uh, spring. So uh, getting into Annapolis and my, uh, my better half is actually from Annapolis. So she has family there. And, you know, so Annapolis is always a good day trip or weekend trip, uh, especially when the boat show is going on. So your better half, is she into sailing as well? She, uh, was lightly into sailing just because, uh, one of her, she had a stepfather that was a racer over at, uh, Severn, uh, sailing association and, uh, back in the day. And she did like the summer, uh, teenager summer uh, sailing camp there a couple years in a row and I think her dad actually had a, a small sailboat for a while as well um, so when we met she's like yeah I've sailed before you know and I'm really you know, I'm not not that she was into it physically or doing it but you know she had done it in the past and knew what it was all about and was interested definitely on getting back out on the water so 
that was always nice uh, when you meet somebody, <laughs> especially when you're really into sailing. Because uh, I've had a friend that you know met somebody, got married, and they weren't into sailing. So guess what? He's not into sailing anymore either. <laughs> it's best to establish that as a prenuptial agreement. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> up front in 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 the open, you know. Yeah, that's so, what I and, did with my wife, and she never fought yeah. me on it all the way through. So it was it's it was good to have that support behind me as opposed to. Oh yeah. Uh, Saying, why are you spending all that money on that hobby? So. <laughs> exactly, and and you know, like right now, I'm I'm talking about these these bigger boats, and I'm looking at my boat, and kind of going, okay, you know, I could do this, I could do that, I could maybe switch up the interior a little bit to make it feel a little bit bigger, you know. And she's like, well, why don't you just go out and buy a bigger boat? And I'm like, that's a dangerous thing to say, because <laughs> I just might go do that, you know. <laughs> but then we're not going to have a house to live in. We're going to keep renting, you know, whatever. So, Jeff, let me ask you one more thing before we uh, we call it an interview. Sure. Give me your favorite apps and programs that you use for sailing or no, basically for sailing. For sailing? I mean, I, I'm pretty basic when it comes to that. Uh, I use, like, uh, it used to be um, the Blue Weather, uh, Marine Weather uh, app. And I can't remember what it's called for now. But basically, I just look at that, and there's a thing called My Radar uh, which is pretty up to date, um, especially in the Chesapeake Bay. Things definitely pop up uh, in an instant. I mean, you might see something coming on the horizon, and ten minutes later, it's there. You know, so I'm really uh, plugged into uh, different weather apps for uh, radar, and, I, and I've fooled around with like Active Captain and, and like some AIS software, uh, but I haven't really kind of delved into it that much. Uh, so most of it's just weather-based. I have a chart plotter, um, you know, with the most up-to-date card. It's just a small one just so I can see where I'm at. And, and like, if I'm going into an anchorage, I can tell. And I have paper charts and all that kind of stuff. So I'm pretty basic. I mean, I don't log necessarily go down with my chart and, like, you know, kind of plot it out or anything like that. But uh, when you've sailed, and I've been sailing on, on the bay now for 10 years, so between uh where i'm at and annapolis i could probably get around <laughs> without charts <laughs> um but you know it's nice to have the chart plotter and and the paper charts to back them up especially uh, and eventually you know one of my things is i want to go further south on the bay do like the whole bay and then i definitely want to go and do the delmarva um you know andy runs every year he does a delmarva it's like the Arc Delmarva now. It's the Delmarva Rally that does a circumnavigation around the Delmarva Peninsula. And I can't do that through him anyway on my boat because it's too small. But uh, one of these days I want to get out with, uh, you know, either rope somebody in with a bigger boat or uh, just, you know, through Andy, I guess, get it into a crew situation. And then from there, you know, that's where you really got to uh, – up your game in terms of the AIS software and, and those kind of apps. Well, now I'm just looking, where is the Delmarva Peninsula? Is that the one between the Delaware Bay and the Chesapeake Bay? Is that the peninsula you're talking about? Yep. It's uh, Delaware, Maryland, and Virginia. Okay. So, uh, it's the Del. they call it the Delmarva. And it, basically you start in Annapolis and then you decide what you're going clockwise or counterclockwise. <laughs> It doesn't really matter. If you're heading north, the wind's going to come from the north. If you're heading south, the wind's going to come from the south. So it doesn't really matter. <laughs> and then you uh, end up, there's a canal between uh, Chesapeake City and uh, De- uh, I think it's Delaware City on the north side that separates it. And uh, basically you have to motor through that. Um, but you can sail all the way around 
the whole thing up through the, the uh, Delaware Bay, down past Lewis, out in the ocean, back up through the bay, or you can start in the bay and work your way down through uh, Norfolk and then out and up and around. And usually I think they do that around seven or eight days. So it's like two days offshore, I think. And so you're stopping every night pretty much. Then, yeah, right? pretty okay. much. Jeff, it's been great talking to you. Thanks a lot. Yep, no problem. Take it easy. Thanks for listening. If you have suggestions for future episodes, or if you have some interesting stories to tell yourself, please contact me. I'm always looking for good new material. If you have friends that might be interested in this podcast, turn them on. I'm trying to grow my audience. The audience has been growing slowly, but I'd like it to grow a little faster. Neil's helping me with my Twitter account, my Facebook account, my Instagram account. I'm checking into Twitter now and then so you can connect with me through Twitter. But you're always welcome to write me an email directly, franz, F-R-A-N-Z, at medsailor.com. And if you're looking to learn how to sail, I have some audio courses to help you learn the terminology and techniques of sailing. But it will not replace the -the on-the-water experience you have to have in order to become a sailor. They're available at the website, medsailor.com. Check them out. Thanks. Get out there and go sailing now. Joe, do you have something to tell me? No, I don't think so. I just got off the telephone with Bill Rutherford. Princeton can use a guy like Joe. What? Princeton can use a guy like Joel. His exact words. That's unbelievable. You're as good as in. I knew you could do it. Haven't I been telling you every once in a while, you just got to say, what the heck, and take some chances. You are so right. You made me very proud. I was just thinking where we might be 10 years from now, you know? (laughs) The introduction and exit quotes for this podcast were from the movie Risky Business, released in 1983 and written by Paul Brickman. The dialogue, which was used in order, were played by Curtis Armstrong, who in the movie played the character Miles Dalby, Nicholas Pryor, who in the movie played Joel's father, Mr. Goodson, and Tom Cruise, who was the main character who played the character of Joel Goodson. One of my favorite movies of all time.